This is Tani Talks Radio, the share where we talk a topic per week for the audience members to keep. We hope everyone had a wonderful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Everyone's feels should be answered. Kol Mishala from the heart. All of it should be answered to for everyone to have a good Geben Shior, a happy, healthy, safe, wonderful year where Hashem answers all the Tefillah Satova, where we're all inscribed, sealed, and put down for many, many happy, healthy years that may have Esmashana to come, and everyone should have a Yeshua and a Rafua Bekarov. So after we get over the the weeks of that lead up to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the Rabbi Art Scroll and the different Rabbi Yom and Yeshiva used to say that these are like very wonderful days, they're very awe-inspiring days, but they're also very, very stressful days because they're very intense days and they're very awe-inspiring days. And it's it's very strenuous to get through the davening as well, to be able to make it through. You know, Yom Kippur, a lot of people get very weak towards the end. I myself had to sit for a lot of mincha, but then Baruch Hashem Hashem gave me a second boost for Ne'ilah to make it through standing. But a lot of people get very weak through the fast, and I always wonder, you know, maybe it would be easier if we ate, but obviously that's not the point, and Hashem wants us to take away those things. So Hashem wants us to be more like angelic, to be more like malachim. So once we get through those stages, now we come to the more lighter aspects of things, not lighter in terms of commandments, but lighter in terms of now we move towards the more festive aspect. We come towards sukkah. And a lot of people approach sukkahs and say, yeah, I made it through the Amenorah and Baruch Hashem. Now I just got to take out the, the, the lemon. I got to take out the the little palm branch and, and the two sidekicks, you know, the Hadassim and Aravos, and I got to shake him and I got to sit in the hut for the week. And that's how we make it through. But of course, there is a much deeper essence going on, a much deeper element going on. When I go to work and I try to explain this to people, it's it's very hard to for them to understand. A lot of people say, is that the festival of the huts? Is that the one where you guys build like an outdoor gazebo? No, it's not a gazebo. No, it's not a hut. But I get where you're coming from. You know, they're probably walking around seeing random things on balconies and driveways, and if they're passing the back of someone's house, what is this structure? Is it made of poles? Is it made of canvas? Some people have it out of fiberglass. Some people have it out of wood, and some people have it in a different way in how they build it. So I try to explain, you know, it's commemorating the clouds of glory that God took us out of Egypt with like uh, thousands of years ago. It's hard to relate. It's hard to explain to different people. And it's hard for them to picture, you know, Passover, I understand you got the bread that didn't leaven, whatever. You can't have the leaven. The bread can't rise. Hanukkah is the festival of lights. But what's Sukkot? I never heard of Sukkot. Most people say, what is what is Sukkot? What is Sukkot? So we try to explain it, but we really ourselves, we ourselves should try to think about what is the real point of Sukkot. What are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to take away from Sukkot? Sukkot starts, God willing, in just a few days. And if you were lucky like we were on Sunday with that two-hour break in the constant rain from Shabbos to Friday, my wife told me it's supposed to rain every single day until Sukkot literally starts, which I think itself is a lesson that it's going to rain, but then Hashem will hopefully clear the rain in time for us to go out in the sukkah. So if you were one of the lucky few who went out at 10.03 on Sunday morning till 11.49, you know, almost two hours that it wasn't, you know, raining, and we were able to put up the sukkah, thank God, and the schach, and the the poles, the canvas, the schach, and I tied it down. I felt like that was a win. The decorations could always be done later. That's the last thing. The kids want to help anyway. What are you supposed to learn? What are you supposed to take from Sukkot? What is the point of the hut? What is the point of the Esrog, the Lul of the Hadassim and the Aravos? Is there something deeper going on? Is there some element, some aspect that we could try to think about? And of course, the answer is yes, there is. We just have to dig and find out what that is. 
H.com points out with author Slova Youngrace-Wolf, daughter of the wonderful Rebetzin Youngrace, when we dwell in our sukkah, we sit in it and we live in it for seven days. We leave our homes and all that is within. The dining room table, t- table, excuse me, the mirrors and the lighting, the comfort of our couch, and we sit in a temporary hut, a sukkah. And for those people who have a difficult time with the outdoors, myself included, I'm not a hiker, I'm not a nature person by any means, not into those kind of things, and especially my friends who are not my friends, the bees, when they come in the sukkah, I'm running. (laughs) So it's not easy for a lot of people. What is the point of it? What is the aspect to be involved? Why a sukkah? When the Jewish people were taken out of Mitzrayim, when the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt, Hashem provided them with sukkah booths of shelter. His clouds of glory would be their protection in the harsh desert wilderness. So there's really two aspects going on. Really, Hashem protected everyone with the clouds all around. They were technically clouds that were evening out the terrain for them to walk upon. There were also clouds in front of them, killing spiders and snakes in the desert. The commentaries point out, and they were like these clouds all around them, basically encapsulating them, encircling them from all the boundaries, from all the elements. That's number one. So we commemorate that. Number two, there were also the actual booths that they had to shelter, and they had actual huts, they had actual tents. Why do you think in, in Parsha Spalak it says, Matovu Ohalacha Yaakov Mishkinosecha Yisrael, that Pasuk we say in Davening every day actually comes from Belomarasha, but we use it as a side to explain how wonderful it is the tents every single tent was facing a different direction so that everyone in Bnei Israel and Klai Israel had actual tzniyos had modesty and had their privacy each person had their own shelter each person had their own booth each person had their own tent Hashem gave them the mana Hashem made sure that their clothing grew with the people and he made sure to take care of all of their needs in the desert there were no bathrooms anywhere Hashem also worked that the mana was like absorbed into the systems which is crazy to think about for 40 years so Hashem took care them in many different aspects, including the booths of shelter and the clouds of glory that was their protection in the harsh desert wilderness. The question is, if they had like 38 travels in 40 years or something crazy like that, sometimes they stayed for years, sometimes they stayed for months, sometimes a year or two, but really they could have had a more permanent dwelling. Back in those days, they did have adobes or abodes, whatever they call them, out of out of brick and mortar. I'm sure that's what they had in Mitzrayim. They had to keep building pesos and ramses that kept falling down. They made it out of brick, out of tar, out of mud. Why was there not a more permanent dwelling? Why didn't Hashem let the Bnei Israel have or give them a more permanent dwelling? This generation that left Egypt, that left Mitzrayim, was weak in faith. Hashem wanted His people to know forever that strength and security come not from a beautiful home, not from a fancy car. It is not about possession, security systems, bank accounts, or jobs. It is all about faith. In Mitzrayim, He took them out of the strong, quote-unquote, nation of Egypt, showing them that they were going to be in these temporary shelters, these temporary huts, because it's really Hashem's protection that really needs to be thought about. Hashem tells us, come, leave all your fears behind. I will shelter you beneath my wings. You will find your faith. You will discover serenity. Our connection will endure forever. Greater than anything is the knowledge that you do not live life alone. Find your fortress of faith. Reflecting on our sukkah helps open our eyes to the definition of true trust in God. Sukkah asks us to think, what matters in life? What sustains me? Whatever is important is right here with me. Everything else is temporary. The shelter of the divine is the only shelter that remains forever. 
The sukkah reminds us that there was a time our people too felt helpless. Just as God, Hashem, sustained us and nourished both our bodies and souls, so too we will find our sustenance. So too will we find our sustenance. God will never abandon his people. As difficult as life seems, remember this teaching while we have gone through an incredible journey, exiled throughout the four corners of the world, given up for dead, and yet here we are, sitting in the sukkah booths as our forefathers did in the desert. The legacy remains alive. We are a miracle, as Shweki explains in his song, Lahabdil. Renew your strength, renew your courage, inspire yourself, ignite the spark that lies within your soul. The four species also together comprise one mitzvah. If one element is lacking, Lacking, the mitzvah is not fulfilled. So if you have an esrog, but no lulav or hadas menoravos, or you have the lulav, but no hadas menoravos, or you're missing any one of the elements, the mitzvah is not complete. The mitzvah is not fulfilled. And of course, there's another aspect that we'll talk about in a second, which shows why it is so important. Each species of the Dalad minim, the four things that come together for when we shake them at davening or if you shake them in the sukkah, each species represents another type of Jew. God says we are to hold all four together as one because each is necessary. Whoever fulfills this mitzvah brings peace and harmony to himself and to the entire world. It's fascinating to think about what each aspect brings, which we'll look at again in one second. But first, from H.com with Rabbi Shraga Simmons. Often the key to discovering the focus is found in the prayers in any holiday, in any aspect. Really looking at the tefillah really helps. If you look at any of the tefillahs on Rosh Hashanah, you talk about the idea of how we're crowning Hashem as king with Malchios, Zerchonis, and Shafras. You look at Yom Kippur, you look at the idea of the Kesha, the connection we're supposed to have to Hashem as a rabbi here explain, trying to find the Kapara, trying to find the Tshuva, the Atonement, to find the real connection to Hashem. And if we look at the Siddur on Sukkot, we're also looking at how often it's referenced as Zaman Simchaseinu. Why is it called the time of our joy? Some people explain that in the olden days when there were a lot, a lot, a lot of farmers and everybody lived from the field to to their mouth, to their hand, to their families, because this is when the harvest would be like complete. I believe Shavuos is also involved in the harvest, and then they would rein it in and bring it in at Sukkot, so they're really happy to have all the food. But there are other elements to explain as well. Zman Simchatenu, Zman Simchatenu, the time of our joy. Sukkot is designed as a one-week workshop on joy. For seven days, we move out of our wall-to-wall, Carpeted, I mean, some of us don't have carpeted, some of us have the, the wood, but whatever, air-conditioned house into a little hut called a sukkah. But how is that supposed to make us happy? The lesson is that the physical objects with which we surround ourselves are not what make us happy. A person can live in a gorgeous home and be absolutely miserable. A person can live in a shabby hut and be ecstatically happy. The key to joy is success in our relationships. This includes our relationship with other people, our spouses and kids, and with ourselves and with God. The Medrash says very famously that the four species of the Lula represents four types of Jews. The Esrog has a good taste and a good fragrance. It represents a person with both wisdom, Torah learning, and good deeds, mitzvahs, chesed. The Hadas, the Myrtle, has good fragrance but is inedible. It represents a person who has good deeds, mitzvahs, or chesed, but lacks wisdom, lacks the Torah learning. The lulav, the date palm, is edible, but has no smell. This represents the person with wisdom, but without good deeds. 
which oftentimes is interpreted that Torah has to come with the action, with the doing, with the kind deeds and the good outlook. The arava, the willow, has neither taste nor smell. This is the person represented with neither good deeds nor Torah learning. So on Sukkot, we gather all these four species, we bind them and we wave them all together. How wonderful a lesson in Kirov that we're all supposed to be involved in making sure every aspect is represented in society and every aspect is brought together. That's why Kirov is not really supposed to be only for the professionals. Everyone's supposed to lend their hand in some way, in some aspect, in some measure to try to help out all of Jewry in the world. We take all four species, we bind them together, we wave them all together. The Lulav is only kosher. If all four species are taken together, if one of the species again is missing, the entire Lulav bundle is invalid. A similar principle is taught by the composition of the incense, the Katoris, brought in at the Holy Temple in the Besamingdash. There were 11 ingredients, of which one, called the Chalbana spice, smelled terrible. Yet the incense was only valid if all the ingredients were included together. This teaches that we must look at all the Jewish people as a unit working together. Interestingly, they say, obviously we have no way of knowing this, but they say that the Ketoros, when it was together, smelled beautiful, smelled wonderful. Yet if one of the ingredients was missing, it wouldn't be complete. It probably wouldn't have that grandiose smell, especially because one of them themselves had a horrific smell by itself. When it's together, when it's included together, when everything is together, when everyone is together, working together included, especially those that are missing aspects or lacking aspects, yet we have to bring them all together. We look at the Jewish people as a unit working together. There may be people that we have to deal with in different ways. We cannot simply say that certain people are not part of the world because they're lacking mitzvahs or lacking good deeds or that they do not belong to the Jewish people as a whole. On the contrary, humanity and the Jewish people is one indivisible unit. This recognition is basic to happiness because when we realize that we are all interconnected, we can be more patient and tolerant of others. Note that when the lulav is held, the estrog is next to the willow. Really, the way you're supposed to hold it is your stronger hand and the weaker hand hold everything together. Nowadays, a lot of people have to hold the sitter in one hand and the whole bundle on the other hand. Hopefully, your hands are big enough to hold all them. They also have the cards instead. But really, the lulav should be next to the esrog with the willow right on top of it. The one with the most should position himself to be near the one with the least in order to favorably influence him. Again, the way we hold it, the one with the most next to the one with the least. The willow has no taste and no smell, no good deeds and no Torah learning. The asterisk has good taste and good fragrance, so the one with the most the asterisk should be influencing the one with the least, the arava, in life and in the sukkah, and if the, in the lulav bundle itself. Excuse me. We want to make sure that the idea is found in expression as well in how we go about it. So, in general, their way of being involved in that sukkah would be that you can invite some people over. You, of course, can invite friends from shul over. But even better than that is someone who comes new to your town, new to the shul, and doesn't have somewhere to go. Maybe that's a person to invite, someone you don't know very well, who might be new to town. You could do that, and the result can astound you in what happens as well. Another way to look at the lulav is mentioned in the Sefer Habahir, or Sefer Bahir, a Kabbalistic work almost 2,000 years old. It describes the four species, the Arba Minim, the Dalad Minim, as four parts of a human being. Also very famous. The Estrog represents the heart, the seat of the emotion, 
The hadas, the myrtle, has leaves shaped like an eye. The lula of the date palm represents the spine from where our actions emanate, and the arava, the willow, represents the lips, our speech. The four species must be taken together as a unit, so too to achieve happiness, one must use all of his faculties in unison. You cannot say one thing and feel another. You can't say one thing with the arava, but mean something else with the estrog. You have to be one unit, like minded in and of itself throughout your whole self we must unify our feelings our actions our speech and our outlook with all of these working together we're well on the path to self-esteem to tranquility and to joy the four species also represent the name of hashem arava the willow hadas the myrtle the lul of the date palm and the esrog represent the yud and the K and the Vav and the K of the four-letter name of Hashem. Obviously, we can't say it. Again, the key here is unity. As we say every day in the Shema prayer, Hashem is one. While the things may appear to us as good or may appear to us as evil, we must realize that it all comes from Hashem. When one must deal with various pleasant or unpleasant circumstances, ultimately for one's maximal growth, it comes from Hashem. At the root of it, everything comes from Hashem. But everything comes from Hashem. Being aware of this keeps our focus and helps us to deal with the issues of life. When we relate to God's unity, we come closer to achieving joy in the world. Sukkot is the one-week opportunity, the one week to build these relationships and incorporate them into our lives and we should be zochah to have great success in this venture and many ventures in the world interestingly also on h.com rabbi ephraim goldberg points out something something fascinating we could focus on the details we could focus on the minutia the deficiencies and shortcomings what is missing and the gaps in our life and in the end we will be miserable he has a bigger house he has more cars this one has x salary this one has y salary this one is doing this this one's doing that this one was honored at the dinner this one's honored on the school board this one makes more money than me less money money this one works more than me less in the end all we will be is miserable excuse me or we can employ imagination and creativity and find happiness happiness is not the result of getting what we are missing Happiness is achieved by focusing on what is there and seeing our lives as complete, even if it often takes imagination and creativity to do so. This is not Rabbi Ephraim's idea. This comes way, way, way in the past, really, from Pirkei Elvis, my favorite safer of all time. Currently in Season 7, the TTOT, the Tani Talks, Pirkei Elvis, the Family Living Lessons Edition, beautiful, beautiful safer that we are trying to keep up during the holiday season. The Mishnah says in Paragdalad Mishnah Aleph Ben Zomer Ben Zoma Omer Ezehu Ahashir Hasameach Bechalko. Many, 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 many years ago, Ben Zoma already realized this. This was before they had cars, before they had these big houses, before they had all the modern conveniences, before they even had plumbing and electricity. Ezehu Ashir Hasameach Bechalko. Who is the really the rich one, but also the wise one. Who is the rich, rich person, the person that is satisfied, not just satisfied, but happy with what they have, doesn't look at the house down the block, doesn't look at the cars that everyone else is driving, doesn't look at what their family looks like, what their jobs are like. You focus on you itself looking inwards. What you have is what you need. What you have is what's best for you, and what you have is what's really good for you. 
And that goes from the most important life decision, the spouse, to the children that Hashem gives you. Everybody should be zochah to have their spouse and children. If they don't have it yet, they should be zochah this year now to find it, their Yeshua and their wonderfulness in life. And that goes to the house and that goes to the job. Everything that you go for, Hashem leads you along the road that you want to take, hopefully a good road, but it's all from Hashem. If you look at what you have, if you focus on what is there, you focus on what is good, that is how you could use your imagination, creativity to find happiness. Happiness is not the result of getting what we are missing. Unfortunately, society is the opposite. If you get this, you'll be happy. Get this one, the next iPhone, the next iPhone, the next Android, the next laptop, the next car. Every single advertisement tries to make you think that you're missing something. If you get this, you'll be happy. There's a sale at TJ Maxx. There's a sale at Gap. There's a sale here and there. There's a sale at Best Buy. You're always missing something. There's always something more you need. Granted, if things are breaking, things could be fixed, so it could be more functional and more good for your house to serve Hashem and do good things with in your house, of course. But what are you missing? It's not really what you're missing. That's society's clever advertising trick to try to get more money. They want you to focus on what you think is missing. You're not missing. We have to focus and achieve by focusing on what is there, seeing our lives as complete, even if it takes imagination, even if it takes creativity to do so. Happiness also, a very big life lesson that over time we should see and realize. Happiness doesn't come from things. It comes from experience and it comes from functional, safe, good relationships. Because you could think, ah, I'll be so happy when my new couch comes. Oh my gosh, I'll be so happy when the new door comes. I'll be so happy when the new house comes. Time and time again, you could be happy. And how long does the happiness last? A day? A week? A few weeks? a few months. After a certain while, when it comes to things, when it comes to materialism, it becomes part of the life, ingrained to the life, and it becomes just taken for granted part of the rote aspect of daily life. A thing can't give the happiness. Something material cannot give the happiness. It could help you. It could make things more functional. It can make things more eased for you in your life. But the happiness doesn't come from the thing. It comes from the experience, and it comes from relationships comes from the people in your life, the people that bring positivity to your life, the people that bring warmth into your life, the people that bring love and goodness into your life without conditions and without anything holding you back, without anything bothering you. Happiness comes from people. Happiness comes from relationships. Happiness doesn't come from materialism, and happiness doesn't come from the things that you buy. It comes from looking at your life in the right way. Again, don't get me wrong. Things are nice. Things are good. Things can be enjoyable, and things can help you in life, hopefully, functionally live in a better way. But we all know, or I've heard of plenty of people with lots of things who are still pursuing happiness who haven't yet found it. How many entertainers, how many singers, how many musicians, how many movies? Movie stars and how many football players who make millions are and have mansions and how many cars are not happy they take a they say that the psychologists take a, a poll of people who win lotteries and they're actually super depressed super upset because life changes but not always for the better they have the money but what comes next you know, the taxes and the fame, the unwanted fame and people coming out of the woodwork asking for money and, and people with organizations asking for money. It's not a good thing. It's very stressful. It might seem wonderful, but in the end of the day, it might cause more stress than, than good. And it says that it makes people go out of control and, and they lose purpose because then they quit their job. They don't have what to do with their day, what to do with their time. There's just too much money and it causes too much 
not good things. Things can be nice. Things can be good. They can help. It can help you enjoy life if you use them in the right way. But we all know people who are still pursuing that happiness that have not yet found and they just acquire more and more and more and they're not going to find the happiness because their materialism will not give happiness. Physicality will not give the happiness. The ruchnias, the spirituality, that's where we could look for happiness. The good, functional, loving, wonderful relationships with spouses and with your own kids hopefully will be good. There are people who lack many things, on the other hand, but are very happy. In the sukkah, don't feel the heat of the sun. Feel the warmth of your spouse. Feel the warmth of your little kids running around. Don't focus on who is not at the table. Focus on who is there. Don't focus on what spilled. Focus on how much is left to enjoy. It's kind of a shift. It's kind of a, a shift of looking at things and enjoying things. And your viewpoint changes. Your your outlook on life can change. And this is not just for the sukkah, but this is for a lesson for life as well. You th- could think about what's missing from the house, or you could see what's inside the house. You could think about what other people are doing, or you could just focus on yourself. You could focus on what's not there. You could focus on what is there. You could focus on who's not there. You could focus on who is there. You could look and think about the what you don't have, or you could focus on what you do have, which is, of course, a wonderful lesson for life. Ezehu Ashir HaSameach. The Chalkal Pekriyavu said this much earlier, much earlier in life. Focus on what there is. Immersing ourselves in the sukkah is the secret to finally finding happiness. Go out of your home that has the fixed walls and the full roof and step into your temporary and incomplete hut that takes creativity and imagination to see as a dwelling and you will experience true happiness and true joy. Eliana Klein points out on H.com that the sparks of joy we get from home and possessions are through living and creating with them. The spark of joy from the couch is from sitting with the children, reading stories, learning Torah, discussing things with them, playing with them, singing with them. The cluttered and scratched dining room table evokes joy by playing its pivotal role in the heart of the home where we sh- where we have a Shabbos, where we have meals there, where games can happen, where fun can happen, where you can make birthday cards, where the Passover Seder is, the Pesach Seder, and so much more. For us, where we light the candles for Hanukkah. So much happens there. So much more is there. So much warmth could be there. Joy isn't about the space we live in, but the space within us. Really, owning less is not necessarily going to create the joy we yearn for. When we go into the sukkah in a few days with the wobbly folding table and the artwork scribbles from kindergarten in that space where the rain will inevitably mar our careful decorations, we will celebrate sukkahs, the festival of joy, here in fall 2023, just a few days away from the great holiday of sukkahs. It is particularly interesting in the sukkah when we leave our permanent homes, and that is what we do. We particularly purposefully leave the sukkah. We leave the home, excuse me, we leave the permanent homes to go into the sukkah, enter a holy space encased in Hashem's eternal love, that we experience true joy. The deepest joy is found specifically when we move out of the safety of our things, however many or however few, with no solid roof over our heads, open to the elements. It is found in our vulnerability and acknowledging that we are powerless, but beloved and part of the divine plan which we do not fully grasp, but trust that it is good. It is found when we look way beyond the concrete through 
to the stars, realizing that security ultimately comes from connecting with Hashem, basking in the sparks of joy that come through God's loving, sustaining embrace. Interestingly for me, there are two creatures that really get into the sukkah a lot, and it's hard for me. I kind of feel like an instant sometimes, but we can only use that to a certain extent. During the days, the bees come upon us. Bees are not my favorite creature, one of my least favorite creatures. My wife is, like, allergic to them, but I'm, like, really, really afraid of them. After all these years, I do not like them on any respect, any respect, any fashion. The kids also, unfortunately, learned from my fear of them. And at nighttime, the pesky mosquitoes come out. So either way, something is going to bother you, something's going to attack you, but Hashem wants you to try to deal with these things, to try to accept that these things are going to be there. Hopefully they won't enter your sukkah. Hopefully maybe they'll enter somewhere else, but not in someone else's sukkah. Hopefully you'll get away with maybe the weather will be a little colder this time of year, this, this part of the year. Maybe we won't have them. Maybe we won't see them. Maybe we'll get away with it, but it's still what Hashem wants, we have to confront things that are uncomfortable for us in the sukkah. We're leaving our permanent dwellings, however permanent things are in life, and we enter into the temporary dwelling, Davka, realizing that security ultimately comes from connecting with Hashem, basking in the sparks of that joy that comes from Hashem, basking in the embrace, the sustaining embrace from Hashem Himself. Rabbi Joel Padowitz points out on com. we all want happiness, but often make the mistake of confusing happiness with success. Time and time again, also society gets it wrong. Who is successful? A millionaire? Is that really the successful person? What did they do to get that millions? What did they sacrifice to get those millions? How much time was lost if they're married to the spouse? How much time if they have kids was lost to those kids? I often point out that story from the head CEO of Walmart. I've mentioned it many times in many different shirim. But the last three words in his life, he was like 97 years old or 90-something. He's surrounded by his wife and three kids, you know, and he says the last Three words of his life, I blew it because he cared more about sales, more about numbers, more about the physicality, the material. You can't take a single cent with you after 120 years. What is the point of setting up this and that and that for your retirement? Who knows how long you're going to live and who knows how long you're going to be able to use it? We shall be Zoha to 120 years, but worrying and fretting and, you know, saving millions in the quote-unquote fund that will never be touched is a waste it could have been used for much better things in my opinion you could have literally solved so many diseases so much hunger so much poverty so much crises around the world he said his own admission i blew it because success is not how much money you make why do we think that a person just because he's a millionaire is a successful person what did he do to earn those millions what did he do with his life to get that? Did he touch people's lives? Did he impact the world for better? Did he make the world lighter and brighter and more beautiful? That's why I have a big problem with how much they pay entertainers, how much they pay actors and singers. What the schmach do they bring to this world? Excuse my tonyisms. What do they bring? What kind of a fakakta thing are they contributing that they deserve so much money? My poor wife, who is a great educator, who is teaching middle school girls for years now in our local town, makes pennies compared to what these people make. I also make a few more pennies in the DOE working with kids this year. I'm zocha to work with the youngest kids. I call them the babies of the DOE. They're four or five years old. They each have tremendous problems, difficulties, autism, 
and special needs and literally it's very hands-on this year they have no impulse control they can't sit they can't learn they don't hold the utensils right they don't hold the pencils right they don't hold the scissors right these are great things i love to work on but are we reimbursed in the right way? Is my wife, the teacher, reimbursed in the right way? Are educators reimbursed in the right way? Football players make like a gazillion times more than any of us will ever make. And I'm happy to work in education. My wife is happy to work in education. But it's just sad how people define success. If we could change a child's life, and my wife changes a lot of kids' lives, and I try to change a couple of kids, you know, every year if I get to have 20 kids, and I've been working eight years, that's a good 100-plus kids I've tried to work with over the years. What is really the definition of success? Society has it warped. Society hasn't messed up. He's successful because he made $4 million last year. What did he do to contribute to the world? So he sold three paintings that some random guy drew in the back of his garage and that's worth millions. This guy made this and this guy made that. He made two albums of songs. Is that worth millions? He was on a TV sitcom for two years. He's worth... 400 grand per episode this guy was in one movie about superheroes they paid him 20 million dollars to be in the movie are you nuts are you kidding me that's what success is no success is not that we have the wrong definition success should be defined as making the world better being makadish shem shemaim you know sanctifying god's name doing good work helping those who need help guiding those in the right direction raising the next generation of caring good compassionate kind wonderful humans that can be able to function in this very difficult world success does not have the right resolution success does not have the right definition unfortunately nowadays people confuse happiness with success success is getting what you want happiness is wanting what you get again success is getting what you want and happiness is wanting what you get as our sages taught again we talked about this already a few minutes ago who is rich the one who is happy with his lot happiness is not something that happens to us happiness is a decision we must make and we can each be as happy as we decide to be people walk around with the sour face i call it the resting mean face other people have a much worse term for it which i will not mention on public radio on public podcasting but some people walk around with the resting mean face and you could tell in their disposition you could tell in their facial expressions you can't talk to them you can't attract with them you can't touch this you can't go near this one of the great rabbis once mentioned and talked about how a face is a rishus harabim you're mechoyev in the rishus harabim to really do a good job you're supposed to put on a good face in public even in private in your own home obviously as much as you can you should have love, love and warmth and goodness and kindness for your spouse and your kids in your own house but especially in the rishus harabim when you're outside put on a happy face interact with people in a good way put on that smile Ezehu Ezehu and Pirkovs also talks about heavy Noach Listishchores, the heavy Mikabel is Kol Haadam Besimcha, the special phrase that we actually put on my brother's stone. He shall live in Shemaim for eternity, but his was a good outlook to have. He was a very funny person, a very witty person, a great spark of life in him. His Neshama should be in Ganadim, but ourselves also we should greet people interact with people i always say 
you know, you can interact with people. People could be very learned, but they could have such a sour disposition. People could be very learned, but they're only in the base measure. They never interact with people. They won't even say thank you to the cashier. I don't agree with that. When we look at people, we interact with people. We, we converse with people. Hi, how are you? What's your name? Thanks for helping you to, helping me today. The other day, I was home with my baby. Not She wasn't feeling so well. I had the opportunity to make many, many, many phone calls, different doctors and whatnot, this appointment, that appointment, this appointment. Each person I try to call, I try to say, hi, how are you today? Good morning. How are you doing? What's your name? Thank you for helping me. These three questions are very, very simple to do, very easy to do, and I feel like if we each did that, we could make the world a little brighter, a little wonderful, a little more successful. How are you? How is your day going? What is your name? Thank you so much for helping me. Really, four things. Do you know how many people get calls and never are even talked to as a human? They're talked down to. They're trash talked. They're like the beating box, the punching box of someone else. Not that they deserve it on any level. They're just trying to help. Most people are in hopefully different professions to try to help you know customer service they're supposed to service the customer but if they're just being berated all day by this guy who got the wrong shoe size and this guy got the wrong color shirt do you think it's this person's fault that you got the wrong thing they're just trying to help when you speak nicely sweetly to people you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar which is a very famous phrase from a video my wife grew up uh, watching and listening to we sing i forget which one she would know but it's much easier to interact with and deal with people you could be much more successful the real definition of successful in relationships interpersonal connections and communications if you speak in a kind way and in a nice sweet way even if you have a superior a boss who's really nasty and i've had this many times and many admins in different schools if they talk down to you, the best response is either no response or a soft response because that will cut it down they want a rise out of you they want you to yell back you don't yell back you're winning you're successful in your way you have to understand how to get the happiness and how to interact with people and how to find the real success having a joyous life a wonderful life starts with small steps small aspects the way we interact with people talk to people yes thank you so much for helping i know the name of the the crossing guard and i know one of the names of the security guard that i see often i try to find out their name right away unfortunately i can't remember any of the other names but i try to remember you know different people's names and whatnot and if you remember little tidbits by the way of different people that you work with it really makes all the difference and it really could be easy to make a kiddush hashem you know i walk into the class Hi, Miss So-and-So. How is your son doing? I know he just had a treatment. He has this very difficult condition. Thank you so much, Tanya, for asking. I appreciate it. Is it hard to remember a small fact about someone else's life? Oh, I know you went on a trip to Indiana with your sister. How was that? You know, when you make a kind interaction, not only does it make it a more pleasant environment to work with, not only does it make it more kind, not only does it show derech eretz and it shows proper manners, but the whole aspect becomes better. People want to work with you. They want to help you. How can I help you? What can I do for these students? What do you recommend? It's such a pleasure to work with Mr. Tani. You know, we want to hear things like that. When you remember and you could try to think about, oh, I know you guys went to Takana the other day because you had to do something for your kid. How is the kid doing? 
Like these are simple little things. I remember you told me your wife is going to school. How's she doing? How's school going? Really simple things that unfortunately people forget to have basic decency, basic manners. Derech Eretz. You go out of your hut. You go out of your home into a hut. These are kind of lessons we could think about. Hashem is guiding us. Hashem is showing us. These are simple things to show real success in life, real happiness in life. Choosing a way to make right decisions to be menches. Unfortunately, nowadays people are just not. Menschlich. You don't see it, unfortunately, with how they interact with coworkers, how they interact with friends, how they interact with, you know, life in general. People are just missing that. We have to find what the real definition of success is, what the real definition of joy is, and what the real definition of how to live life. Our mandate on Sukkot is to be completely joyous. We're obliged to make that decision. Requires us to take a view on one of life's great paradoxes. On the one hand, whoever you are, by virtue of being alive, your cup truly does runneth over. On the other hand, you could always have a bigger cup, yes. But you have to choose what to look at. Choose to take pleasure in what you do have. And voila, you've stumbled onto the secret of happiness. Choose instead to focus on the pursuit of a bigger cup and you'll always be miserable. You'll always left wanting more. You'll be forever left wanting. Not only is this the secret to happiness, but it's also the central message of the Sukkah's holiday name for the Sukkah, this sparsely roofed temporary structure in which we dealt for the seven days of the holiday this year. In a repeat of what we have done for more than a hundred plus generations, Jews the world over will abandon their homes and creature comforts to seek happiness in flimsy huts furnished with little more than plastic chairs Full mattresses. What better place could there be to remind ourselves that true happiness comes from not what we have, but what we still have when stripped of all of our stuff? And I want you to hear these last few stories based on a few elements from Nisano Saffron. He also he always has wonderful stories, and there are three different stories that we could hear about from Sukkis itself. Mike sulked as he went through his closet for about the tenth time. How was he ever going to wear any of these junky clothes to visit someone so important? He'd been feeling really excited and nervous ever since he got the invitation a couple of days ago from Jeremy, a new kid in his class, to come to his house for what he called a sukkah party. Though he never heard of the, though he had heard of the holiday of sukkahs a little bit, he didn't really know much about it. Whatever the reason for the invite, Mike was happy. After all. Well, excuse me, it wasn't every day a regular kid like him got invited to spend time together with someone like Jeremy, whose father was a very wealthy and famous executive who was even on the cover of Time magazine. Mike had wanted to make the right kind of impression by buying and wearing the latest new designer shoes and clothing, but his mom had said, No way! But mom, he pleaded, rich, important people like Jeremy and his family aren't like we are. They won't even look at me if I'm not if I'm dressed in plain old clothes. I'm sorry, Mike, but clothing like that just isn't in our budget. Besides, I'm sure Jeremy doesn't want to be your friend because of your clothing. It's who you are inside that's important. Seeing that there was no room for argument, Mike put on his best pants and shirt, whatever that was, shined his old shoes, combed his hair, and hoped for the best. Riding over on his bike, Mike was surprised to see that while the house the houses were somewhat bigger than average. They were in no way resembled the huge mansions he had imagined Jeremy's neighborhood would include. Leaning his bike carefully up against the stone staircase, Mike's hand was a little sweaty as he knocked on the door. He was nervous to face the butler. He was sure was waiting on the other side of the door for his arrival. He was surprised when his knock was answered by none other than Jeremy's mom herself. Hi there, you must be Mike. We've heard so much about you from Jeremy. We're happy to meet you. Hey, Mike. 
Jeremy appeared behind his mother's shoulder, and the two of them smiled at each other as they welcomed Mike inside the house. Their house is so regular, thought Mike. They probably keep it that way so their sucker house can be really fancy. They must spend all their money on that. Come on, I can't wait for you to see our sukkah. It's out back. Jeremy led him through the house, which was actually a lot bigger on the inside than it seemed to be from the outside. They finally came to a glass door that led out to a huge yard. In one corner, Mike could see a wooden shack with leaves spread all across the top. Hey, what's that? The servants' quarters, he asked. <laughs> no, we don't have any servants. My mom has a cleaning lady a few times a week, but she doesn't live here. So what is that? That's our sukkah. Mike opened the door to the wooden hut his jaw dropped in surprise. He felt like he'd stepped into another world, but not the way he thought it would be. Inside was a long table, beautifully set, with all kinds of candy, cake, and nosh. There were all kinds of decorations and fruit and artwork hanging from the walls, and the branches that he now saw from the inside formed an open-air roof. Seated at the table of Jeremy's dad and two of his brothers, all reading from books with Hebrew letters. They all wore nice but simple clothing, and everybody looked very happy. Mike even felt a little overdressed. Jeremy's dad stood up. You must be Mike. Welcome to our sukkah. Would you like to make a blessing on a special esrog fruit and lulav branch? Then afterwards, you can sit down and eat some of these delicious treats. Sukkah is a time for being together and enjoying each other's company. Mike couldn't get over how friendly and nice everyone was and how comfortable he felt. Even though they were very wealthy, Jeremy's family were regular people just like his family. Under the leaves and the blue sky, he realized that deep down, people are all pretty much the same. There are two other stories, but we could save it for another time because I just want to point out in the end that there are some sources that point out to us the idea of Sukkot itself. We know in Vayikra, Perkhaf Gimel, Sukkim Mem to Mem Dalit, it talks about on the 15th day of the seventh month, you gathered in the yield of your land, you observe the festival of Hashem for seven days, you'll take the the branches, the, pre, the branches of the palm trees, and you'll observe the festival for Hashem. You shall observe it in the seventh month as a law for all time throughout the at the ages. You'll live in the booth for seven days. All of the citizens shall live in the booth in order that they know that we lived in booths when I lived when I brought them out of Egypt, as Hashem says, so that your generations will know. In Sukkot, the clouds of glory began to appear above the people of Israel. In Sukkot, as it talks about in Shemos, that they journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot. And it was talking about the clouds of glory. And in Devarim, it also talks about the Hakal Mitzvah by, by, by Sukkot, that every seventh year, all of Israel will come before Hashem to hear the teaching, to hear the Torah aloud in front of everybody. It was a very interesting mitzvah. Everyone was gathered, men, women, and children, all the strangers in the communities, so they can hear and learn to revere Hashem and observe Him. The children also would be involved as long as they were in the land. And the Mishnah talks about that the king would recite it at the assembly. Everybody would come, even the little kids, because they have to learn. And the parents get the 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 reward for bringing them. And the Shulchanach talks about that it was the clouds of glory that they were involved three times a year. They would come to the base of English before Hashem on Sukkot, Shavuos, Pesach. And talk about the different aspects of how long and how big they should be. The species that talks on the Mishnah Torah, Vayikra Rabbah talks about the aspect of the different species itself. And throughout the Torah, we see the different explanations of the different aspects of the things. So it behooves us to think about, in this festival, what's it really about? As we saw, many different sources teach us that we look about the meaning of the, of the sukkahs, we look at, about the meaning of the elements. Everyone's supposed to come together, all the ones that have them, 
aspects that don't have the aspects that have the mitzvahs, that have the chasad, that don't have the mitzvahs, that do have it, and different aspects come together. We think about how we leave the worldly behind. What should we really focus on? What is the definition of success? What is the definition of happiness? Happiness is not in things. It's not in materialism. It's in our choices to focus on what we do have. Hashem's protection is most key. Hashem's protection is most relevant and most basic and fundamental to our lives. So as we come to Sukkot, it behooves us to think about these things, remember these things in our life and the lives of those around us. And hopefully we can have a wonderful Chag, a wonderful Sukkot, and then we can dance the Torah way through real elements and real aspects in the last days of Sukkot. And hopefully we'll rejoice with one another speedily in the, the temple, the basic Mikdash, speedily in our days. And may that day, in fact, be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep here on Tani Talks Radio, and I'm your host, Tani.